TheOAMNetwork.com. Power to the podcast. Welcome to The Permanent Record. I'm Josh Spickler, Executive Director of Just City. We're a nonprofit criminal justice reform organization based in Memphis, Tennessee. The Permanent Record is a podcast about the criminal justice system and how we can work together to make it work better for everyone. This episode of The Permanent Record includes one of two very special Shelby County election interviews that we recorded recently with each of the candidates for Shelby County Mayor. We've released the two interviews simultaneously as separate episodes. I encourage you to listen to both and hear what they each have to say to very similar questions about the criminal justice system. In a county of nearly 1 million people with a budget of $1.25 billion, the mayor is responsible for budgeting and strategic planning for the largest municipal government in the Mid-South. In a battle to replace term-limited mayor Mark Luttrell, state senator and law school professor Lee Harris is the Democratic nominee. He faces Republican County Trustee David Lenore in the August 2nd general election. We also just released our interview with Lenore as a separate episode. Shelby County's criminal justice system is massive. The county funds courts, jails, prosecutors, public defenders, a probation office, a pretrial service office, the sheriff's office, and it owns and operates a sprawling prison in addition to the courthouse, law enforcement headquarters at 201 Poplar Avenue. A very large percentage of that $1.25 billion budget goes toward the systems we use to administer justice. So we thought it would be a good idea to find out a little bit about the two men vying to influence that spending for the next four to eight years. Here's our interview with State Senator Lee Harris. Well, Senator Lee Harris, thanks for joining us. Um, Tell us a little bit about what brought you to this moment, this race for county mayor. Yours is a familiar name uh, in this town, but for folks who may not follow local government and politics, who is Lee Harris and how did you get here to this race? Wow. The question is, uh, yeah, yeah, that that question on a lot of levels, I could take that question. So I've been serving in the elected office for the last seven years. I served, of course, three years on the Memphis City Council and four years in the state Senate. I won the seat on the Memphis City Council in 2011. I won that seat by four votes. Uh, And I guess to fast forward how I came to this moment, I came to this moment because I wanted to make sure we had a conversation uh, in the selection cycle about things that I thought mattered. For example, I think we've got uh, significant poverty uh, in the city of Memphis and the community of Shelby. Uh, there are about 950,000 people that live in our county, and about 200,000 of them, 200, of them live, live in poverty. The figures are even worse for the city of Memphis. Nearly half of the kids in the city of Memphis live in poverty. And I know that's not a conversation we would have uh, in a race like this unless I am in the race, right? Because I've seen these races. These races for top jobs come and go over the years. I'm a lifelong Memphian, and they're always about the same thing. Um, they always end up being about tax cuts, right-sizing governments, layoffs, and increasing crime. Uh, and I think we need to, you know, decide as a community that we're tired of talking about just that, wait, right? Wait, wait a minute. Decreasing crime. No, 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 no. no, no. The, the, increasing the, fight against crime. The, 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 what, right. what ends up happening, which is obvious to anybody on the street other than the, the decision makers, is that when you have a conversation around laying people off in government, mm-hmm. uh, expanding poverty, mm-hmm. expanding unemployment, uh, undermining morale of law enforcement officials, that when you do all of that, that those will inevitably result in a rise in crime. And so we've saying. been doing that time and time again over the course of the last 50 years. We know that since MLK 50, we just had MLK 50. We've just seen the stats. We know that since 1968, unemployment in Memphis has gone up. We know that since 1968, incomes have gone down. 
We know that there has been almost no real reduction in serious crime. Um, and a lot of it is because we try the same sort of things over and over again. We have conversations about about whether or not we should pick up nonviolent drug distribute, distributors and lock them away for a decade uh, and keep our jails crowded such that we cannot, even if we found them, we could we cannot put the rapists in jail. We can't put the murderers in jail. We can't, you know, we can't do any of that stuff uh, because we're co- so concerned about the nonviolent drug distributors and making sure they right. get uh, more than more than 10 years in prison. So I've already said enough to generate some controversy <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and well, we're just, we're just getting started here. So I don't no, know what's next. Well, I'll good. leave it to you, Josh. Yeah, that's, that's good. Well, it, you've, you've already gotten right, gotten us right into our sure. topic, which I want to, you know, obviously talk about criminal justice and in the current County mayor, you know, spent much of his career running jails, running prisons and running a sheriff office before he took this uh, role that you're running uh, for. So uh, you've, you've referenced this in your experience in public office, uh, but what other experience with the criminal justice system can you share with us? And what do you say, uh, uh, where do you say our criminal justice system is working well, and how do you measure the effectiveness? What is your measure of effectiveness of a criminal justice system? Well, I think with respect to the criminal justice system, I think we've got to have fairness in it. So I've, I've obviously been in the state Senate for uh, four years now, and our criminal code is one of the responsibilities of the state legislature. And so I serve on judiciary, and I have a, a, role, to, a role and a voice in that debate. Uh, when it comes to fairness, what fairness means, because it means a whole lot of different things to a lot of different people, uh, in my view, it means that there has to be proportionality. Uh, so, for example, if I find that you say a curse word in public, um, you know, am I going to give you 10 years for, for cursing in public? No, I am not. And that can be that can be said to be unfair. Right. To give you 10 years for cursing in public is an indication of unfairness. And the same thing is true with a whole range of crimes um, as nonviolent offenses uh, frequently uh, get the heaviest penalties. And we end up using the most resources to incarcerate the nonviolent offenders. And in many of those cases, I would describe what happened as unfair. I think it would be a better practice and more proportionate proportionate if we gave the longer prison sentences to the violent offenders, if we used our scarce resources to incarcerate those violent offenders. But instead, we go for, you know, we go for the low-hanging fruit, the really easy slam-dunk cases. I mean, it's very easy to prove that an 18-year-old has a little bit of um, – uh, a little bit of weed in their pocket, right? That's that's very easy to prove. Uh, but you got to have a trial uh, uh, if, if, mm-hmm. if if a murder has happened in the community. You got to have a trial uh, if a rape has happened in the community or many kinds of aggravated assaults. Uh, and so what ends up happening is is that the law enforcement part of criminal justice criminal justice system, and there are multiple parts, but the law enforcement part, the law enforcement, the the the, the prosecution and arrest part of it, ends up being just. Uh, solely around what are the easiest cases to prosecute uh, and how do we go about enhancing the uh, prison time for the easy cases. It is not around how do we keep violent offenders off of the street uh, and, 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 and doing that work because that work is tough. Yeah, and what uh, is that work? What are you? Well, the work is tough. I mean, you know, the point is criminal justice system is led by decision makers, and those decision makers are usually public officials and elected officials. And those elected officials are looking for layups. They're looking for the easy way out. They're looking for press releases and headlines. And so they don't care how they get 10 10 years in prison time, and they don't care who they're locking up, and they don't care whether they make the community safe in some some cases. They really prioritize just the headline, just the press release. And so it ends up being low-level offenses and so forth. And so that's that's kind of where we are. Uh, uh, that's kind of where we are. Yeah. Well, so let's talk about uh, our jail, mm-hmm. um, where a lot of those folks end up. Uh, the, the population, and, and 
course, don't expect you to speak to these statistics, but I guess you'll have to trust me that I, <laughs> I, 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 keep, I keep up with this sure. kind of stuff because it's what I do. It's approaching 3,000 3, people. The Shelby County Jail population is approaching 3,000 for the first time since I started practicing law in this community. Um, and that's in a county of fewer than a million people. It's really high. To compare that, Cook County in Illinois, that's Chicago, has around 6,000 people in its jail. And that's a community of 5 million people. So that's incredible. Five times bigger, yeah. and their jail population is only twice as big as ours. So what is your understanding of that? Uh, there's a lot of complicated reasons why this is true, but you've hinted, I think, it's what you might say to this to this question. But what is your uh, understanding of that population being so high? And um especially in consider considering that arrests are down, bookings are down. What do you know about uh, that particular problem? Well, I, I, I've heard a lot of uh, different things from a lot of different stakeholders. I think that there are a lot of things we could do better. Uh, and so one of the things is, is that a lot of the folks that we end up housing in our jails or even in prison in some cases are technical violators, uh, that there are small-time technical noncompliance issues that we could have done a better job of addressing and not end up housing them. I mean, on the one hand, you have the bail, of course, but on the other hand, you have, you know, the the level of people that are just no-shows at court, the people that have warrants out for their arrest because of parking tickets and other kinds of, you know, pretty ordinary type of offenses that are nonviolent. Uh, and those kind of people get picked up too, right? Those kind of people, they have issued warrants out for their arrest too. Uh, people miss court dates. And again, those kind of people have warrants out for their arrest too. And, uh, and that's part of the issue. So we could do a lot of things better. Um, so for example, I said, why, why aren't we using technology more to remind people of when their court date is about to occur? Uh, we could text people, right? Right now, everybody has a phone and they should get a series of text notifications so that they don't miss their court date. If they don't respond to the text notifications, maybe we should give them a call by golly at this point because we're in crisis mode. If we've got 3000 folks in the Shelby County jail system, as you suggested, uh, and that's, um, you know, uh, you know, half of what a city the size of Chicago has, then we are on the wrong path and there needs to be major reform and it is urgent. Uh, because remember, the ramifications of this are incredible. A lot of people like to think, I mean, and this is all communities, African-American communities and, and uh, non-minority communities. A lot of people think, oh, let's just pick these folks up and that's all. And that's the end of it. It doesn't affect us. It affects us, right? It affects us. The, the cycle um, back and forth in the criminal justice system, which basically means that you're not going to get a job. You're never going to be meaningfully integrated into, into society. You're not going to be productive. Uh, it hurts our community. Remember, everybody that goes into prison or into jail, all of them are coming back. Every single one of them, or for the most part, are going to come back someday. Uh, and we've got to figure out a way to deal with that. Um, and we don't have any real good answers there. The other part of it is, you know, uh, is that it affects the family, right? People are, you know, I'm a big believer in the family, and I would hope that uh, – you know, I'm a liberal and a big believer in the family, and I would hope that some conservatives are big believers in the family structure as well. And you're going to have a destruction of that family structure for in a lot of communities, particularly minority communities, as long as we continue along the same path. I mean, I've got a, I've got an African-American daughter at home. Who's 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 she to marry uh, when she is a marriageable age? Uh, I've got an African-American son at home. Who's how is he to get a job? If he's cycling in and out of the criminal justice system for technical violations, for things that are petty offenses, for things that wouldn't ordinarily land most people um, um, uh, in that predicament. Yeah. So, you know, this, the, the, the ramifications are incredible. 
um, are large. They touch lots of families. They touch lots of communities and affect us all. And, and by the way, it's, it's a poor use of our resources. Remember, we only have right. a finite use of resources for, for, for incarceration, and it is expensive to incarcerate. It's more expensive, as you know, Josh, to incarcerate on the local level than it is on the state level. And at the state That's level, right. it is incredibly expensive. It's even more. That's we're right. talking about leaving somebody in 201 Poplar for six, six months. That's even more costly. So that's the last yeah. thing we want to do unless that person is, you know, a, a really uh, danger to the public. Yeah, that's that's so true. Uh, let's talk back. Uh, you, you brought up something that I actually have written down to talk about, and that are, that is families and the importance of families. And I had this and it's another fairly specific question, but bear with me if you will. I think you can answer it. Um, what we know about recidivism and this idea that people come back into the system over and over is that. Um, one of the one of the strongest things that we can do to reduce that is to keep people connected to their families mm. while they're in. And uh, often that means a phone call. Um, and in Shelby County, we contract with a company called Global Tellink. Uh, and that uh, company takes about a million and a half dollars out of this community, out of a total of around three million that is paid for those inmate calls every year. $3 million, about half of that comes into Shelby County's coffers, and half of it goes to this for-profit company, Global Tellink. Um, whether you knew about that practice before just now or not, what do you think of it? Um, I mean, covering costs of equipment is one thing, but Josh, extracting wealth yeah, out of this community Josh, is another. So what do you think? I, I don't like it. If I'm Shelby County Mayor, I'm obviously not going to sign any contracts yeah. that look like that, uh, and that practice will end. I mean, I'm not I'm not one to make a whole lot of promises on the campaign trail because a lot of the, it, it, it is in many cases irresponsible to do so, because until you sit in a certain chair and kind of see what the various perspectives are, uh, it is hard to be fully informed. You really got to be there. But something like that. I mean, I've seen enough of these vendor contracts that are outrageous uh, before to know that if something like that comes in front of me. I'm not going to be supportive of it. I'm not going to sign it. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll do what I can to reform the practice. I don't want to make too too bold of a promise because a lot of these decisions are, are going to be left with the sheriff. I mean, I'll be, I'll be working with the sheriff, uh, certainly, and, and, the, and the mayor's office does the budget and, and a lot of overall things like that. But in a lot of the criminal justice context, the sheriff is the lead right. decision maker. And so uh, in the first instance, he'll have to make some decision. But to the extent I have a role uh, or a formal power to either endorse or reject, I am not. I am not going to support a contract like that, and uh, I'm not going to support the, you know, the fleecing of anybody, um, particularly with the stamp of, of government. Um, I'm not going to support that, even prisoners. And I know people think prisoners are some lower-level cast of people and that somehow their human rights don't exist. I just disagree, uh, and I'm not going to let the government um, – be used to take advantage of them. And I, and I, and I've held this position with a whole, whole variety of issues. Um, let's see what, you know, which ones come to mind. The one, well, well, the one that comes to mind again, or again, again, I'm not just saying this as a liberal or as a Democrat. The one that comes to mind right now is the contract we have with a company out of St. Louis to, uh, charge people for parking, not parking. It's it's red light cameras, right? Like red light cameras, which I believe is an unfair practice practice too. And again, it, it, it benefits the company disproportionately, mm-hmm. right? A St. Louis company that gets rich off of sending pe- people photos uh, in the mail and parking tickets in the mail. And the city, local government benefits some too. And because of this kind of odd partnering, the practice just continues, but it feels like a practice that's unfair to the citizenry at large. And so I couldn't in good conscience support or endorse that kind of practice. And there may be some good to come from enforcing the practice, the, the traffic ticket law, and maybe, you know, uh, reasonable, reasonably minded people can come to a solution. But the way it's structured now where you just send the money to St. Louis, to some private company in St. Louis, is not something that 
I'm ever going to be able to support or uh, mm-hmm. ever be able to support. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's 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 a bunch of other things like this. So yeah, yeah. Um, thanks for bringing it to my attention. Yeah, first chance well, I get, I, that contract will be canceled if I get a chance. If you're elected, don't worry, you'll hear more about it from me. That's easy one. Easy <laughs> I'm gonna. One. I don't have really that many specific questions. I just, those two just kind of rose to the top of this interview. But um, uh, here's a maybe a broader one. What role does redemption and mercy play in a criminal justice system? So that's a great question. Uh, yeah. So that's, you know, kind of a question about kind of where I stand as a person right. and, uh, you know, what, what do I think about other people that I deal with and so forth. And I've actually had to face that a lot lately because, um, you know, we, we face in our campaign these petty questions about whom we should endor- accept endorsements from. Right. Right. You know, <laughs> how bad can you be before we <laughs> reject your endorsement? Right. And, and I've said that I ran for public office because I really, truly believe that you can bring people together around common calls. And that's what's most important to me. That's my highest priority is really trying to work with all comers, regardless of their perspective, because the people's perspectives is kind of an outgrowth of their experience. And it's not for me to judge. Now, are there some people out there that I would say, yeah, I got to keep them at arm's length that I would never um, um, be able to partner with? Yeah, there mm-hmm. are. Right. And for me, it's, it's for me right now. It's you know, people that abuse kids and people that abuse women. Right. Uh, you know, those kinds of offenses to me are so beyond the pale that it's very hard to work your way back, in my view. And so I don't know if there's a place for redemption uh, for, for, for those kinds of folks, but everybody else. Right. And that leaves basically everybody else. Sure. There, is, there is a way for us to work together. Uh, should there be some limitations? Maybe, you know, maybe if somebody committed a, 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 a really a, a heinous crime in the last two years, I can't forgive that. Right. But if it was 20, 30 years ago, things like that, we've got to figure out a way as a society to still treat them with humanity, uh, given some period of t- once some period of time has passed. At least that's the way I feel about it. Again, there are some things that are so heinous, like abusive kids, that I think, you know, um, it is fair to ostracize for a very long time. We're really getting into some deep stuff, but it is right. fair, yeah. in my view, oh, to that's... ostracize for a very long time. But anything short of that, I, you know, after a period of time, you've got to. Find a way back to humanity, uh, in my view. So I think there's a place for redemption for just about everybody, uh, uh, people that have betrayed our trust at one time. We still have have got to work our way back to them. Yeah. Well, thank you. Sure. Um, That is deep stuff, but that's why we're here. I appreciate your your candor and being honest with us. Um, Let's talk a little bit uh, about about bail bonds and and cash, the money bail system. As you know, Just City uh, does some work on that. You referenced it a second ago. And uh, you know, we do have a lot of those 3,000 people we talked about earlier who are in that jail on low-level nonviolent offenses. Um, do you, to the extent, again, that, you know, that the mayor's office has this kind of power, do you, um, you know, would you commit to helping bring an end to this practice uh, and finding an evidence-based alternative to money in this community that makes sure we keep people safe and make sure we pe- keep people coming back to court? Is that something that um, that you've considered uh, as, a, as a piece of your platform, or where do you stand on that? So I'm, I've considered it lightly. Of course, I serve in the legislature, serve on the Judiciary Committee. And uh, I'll give an example. Recently, it came to our attention that people were required to pay a bail in a few cases if they were in juvenile court. If they were in juvenile court system, uh, even though they were nonviolent, even though the judge had already determined that the juvenile should be released and that that was the best outcome, there was still an opportunity in some rare cases for the judge to impose a bail on that juvenile or that juvenile's parents. And we thought that was um, 
that was too much, right? That was too much. If the judge has already determined that a juvenile should be released, then there should be no condition like bail uh, after that determination has been made. Because what ends up happening, what, when, and just so people can understand what the fear is, the fear is that the only people that end up serving time are people who are poor, right? The people who can't afford bail end up staying in prison or at least staying in prison or jail longer than people who do have wealth. And that's no real way to run a prison. Just uh, uh, that's no way to run a criminal justice system. Our criminal justice system is around is around public safety, right? Keeping people safe, and it is also partly about um, you know penalizing uh, or penalizing folks when they do wrong. To, to be sure, uh, or you know, a formal way of revenge, as a- it were. I can't account- think of, accountability. Yeah, I can't right? think of a better way to say it. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But it's also about keeping people safe, putting people right. off the street, and accountability uh, at the same time. Um, but it's not about making a, a judgment about whether you're wealthy or you're poor. And so to the extent that that's what's happened in the, in the bail bond system, that, that screams out for reform. And so, again, we have cases where people are considered nonviolent, are considered no safety risk, no flight risk, and probably didn't do the crime in the first place, right? We've got cases like that. Well, they probably do it, didn't do it in the first place, and right. we're still keeping them in prison. And I've worked some of those cases, right? This is not my main priority in Nashville, to be sure, but we, we still see enough of it and work enough of these cases to know that that's not right, right? It, this is about public safety, and as you say, Josh, accountability. It's not about saying, let's just find the poor people, and let's just charge them out the wazoo for phone calls, for bail bonds, for court calls. And uh, let's let's fund our governments that way, and right. uh, let's keep them in poverty. So, finish the finish the bond, the juvenile bond uh, piece, though. You you guys passed a bill. So the, the 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 governor had a juvenile justice reform task force, which was lopsided. He didn't really allow a lot of real serious discussion in that task force, and didn't allow de- Democrats really to to participate. So it was in many ways a, char- a charade. But nonetheless, that juvenile task force did have some pretty good consultants working with the task force. And those consultants were able to put together a list of recommendations for juvenile justice reform. Among them is that we should end some forms of bail uh, for some of these juveniles that, would, uh, that, that judges want to be released, The judges have determined should be released. Uh, when, the, when the report is made, the expectation is, is that the governor will file a bunch of bills that mirror the recommendations of the report. The governor did file a bunch of bills, but he did not file a bill to reform the bail system for the juveniles, or at least not a not a comprehensive one. And so we tried to fill in that gap and file our own bill. And by we, I just mean Democrats. I happen to put my name on it this time, but in a lot, a lot of ways we work together. Democrats decided to kind of fill in that gap and file some bills that mirror some of the recommendations that the governor governor decided to leave on the table. And so one of those, as I mentioned, was is to see if we could do some bail reform with respect to juveniles that interact with the with the juvenile detention center. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's talk about some more some more about the General Assembly. So you're the Senate Minority Leader right. uh, in the General State Senate in the General Assembly in Nashville. And, um, you know, I follow that fairly closely, as you know. And, you know, every session that I've uh, followed in the last few years, we, you know, we, we're adding years to sentences. We're echoing those uh, you know, decades-old ideas that stiffer penalties work and they make communities safer. And obviously, I have a position on this. Uh, and as you referenced earlier, though, much a lot of these costs fall on communities uh, locally, uh, and, and especially in places like Shelby. 
Uh, so how do you, uh, you know, you win the mayor's race. How do you turn around and represent Shelby County's interests, which are, again, safety and accountability, as we've talked about, to your former colleagues on this issue of, of sentencing? And, and that's uh, I'm trying to keep it broad. I don't want to you know, sure. pin you down on specific crimes or issues. That's not about what yeah. this is about. But about sentencing, like where do you where do you stand and how do you go to Nashville and, and make the case? So that's one of the um, good things I have is that I've got experience at the state level and the local level, having served on the Memphis City Council and now at the state Senate. And I've taken a leadership role in both in, in both places on a whole bunch of issues. Um, but not just that is that it is also that I have relationships in Nashville. So, I, you know, in this race, I believe I'm best positioned to go and advocate on behalf of Memphis and Shelby County's interests in front of legislators in Nashville. Certainly on the state Senate side where I serve, I have excellent relationships with every state senator. There's no state senator that won't um, um, say positive things about my service. Uh, and there's no state senator in Nashville right now that I can't work with around common calls to get things done for our community. I don't know if there's many people in this county that can say that. Uh, I mean, there may be a few, right? Mark Norris, me, and, you know, maybe and maybe there's a few others. Uh, but the, the, that, that, that is an advantage that we'll be able to leverage to get some things done. Uh, my perspective on the legislature is that they defer a lot to local leaders, uh, and we haven't been using that as much as we should. So if Shelby County, for example, puts together a legislative agenda, as it always has in the past, and there is some force behind the legislative agenda and somebody pushing that legislative agenda who understands how Nashville works, we are likely to see a lot of movement and a lot of things get done. I think I'm in a position to do that. Obviously, I'd be pushing some things a little bit different from what's been pushed in the past. Not much has been pushed in the past, but when it comes to Nashville in the last four years, the couple things that local governments here have pushed, one is the annexation, which they won, uh, and you know, I was supportive of, of, of their effort uh, with, with respect to slowing down the annexation bills in Nashville, at least at that time. Uh, right now, I am for a compromise on the annexation, so let me just say that, and I think the city has the right uh, – message on de-annexation right now, which is to allow some of these communities to de-annex. The other time that the local government came to Nashville was a so-called tough-on-crime bill that said, you know, you get 10 years for having a gun under your mattress to protect yourself if you are an ex-offender and lost your right to own a gun. Well, I'm all for government putting somebody in prison for having a gun under their mattress for, for protection if they were not legally allowed to own a gun. I'm all for that. I'm fine with that. The question becomes one where we started, which is one of fairness, which means proportionality. Do you give them 10 years in prison for a gun under their mattress or a gun in their trunk or wherever it may be? I think that two years or three years sends the right message. And moreover, remember, the the, the bill in question, the things I'm talking about, this is the most spending we did all year. (laughs) The The most kind of discretionary spending we did all year. Was around that issue. Yeah. And, and uh, so if we're going to do some discretionary spending on, on sentencing, let's do it on the murderers uh, or let's or let's give prosecutors money if they prosecute cases for murder right. or if they prosecute cases for rape or, or, or these kinds of things. But this other thing where we constantly incentivize the prosecutors and incentivize everybody in the system to target the easiest offenders. Right. The ones that are just in possession but have no no violent intent uh, at all, uh, and give them the most time, and, and you know, that is not the right approach. 
I've served for seven years. I've served in some of the toughest neighborhoods in the city of Memphis, representing the, representing uh, lots of people, lots and lots of people that are victims of crime. I've talked to lots and lots and lots of people that are victims of crime. I suspect I'm the person in this race that's talked to the most people that have been victims of crime. And the one thing, and, and they're fine with my views on everything with respect to criminal justice reform, right? I, I, I don't think I've met anybody. I mean, I'm, I'm, you know. Fathers that have lost their sons to, you know, to, to murders and, and moms that have lost their, their daughters to, you know, gunshots and people that are sleeping in their bathtubs to avoid bullet, bullet, bullets and so forth. Talk to all these people repeatedly and they're fine on where I stand on all these issues. The one thing that they have complained about, at least as I kind of move to the state level, was that when there is a violent offense – Nobody uh, is prosecuted. There is no, at least as they see it. And when there is a prosecution, nobody gets any real serious time. They could care less about this other stuff where people are getting 10 years because they found a gun in the trunk or found a gun on the mattress. They want the guy who shot their daughter. Who terrorized. (laughs) Who terrorized their neighborhood. Uh, And it is very frustrating for them when they see, at least what they tell me, that there was a failure to prosecute or a failure to prosecute. get the kind of time that they think were warranted in those cases. That's what they talk about. Uh, and so, you know, that's the kind of experience that I would bring to the table when I'm in Nashville, if, I'm, if I go to Nashville in a kind of local, uh, local leadership capacity to advocate on behalf of Memphis and Shelby County. Yeah, yeah, that was, a, that was almost a good closing statement. I'm going to make you do it again. Maybe around this question is kind of one of my final questions is what's missing from our community conversation about crime? You've touched on some things, but, like, if you had to, you know, Sum it all up and tell us, you know, in, in terms of crime, criminal justice, safety, public safety, however you want to say it, what are we not talking about that can impact those those things that do terrorize people? You know, those neighborhoods that, that do have a crime problem. What, what what are we missing? What are we not talking about? What are we not investing in? And how would you change that conversation as Shelby sure. County Mayor? So I think that's exactly the issue. We're not talking about investments at all. Right? We don't talk about investments in community at all. But so you know and we and I know that there are multiple parts to criminal just to the criminal justice system. There's the arrest and prosecution. We do a great job of talking about that, arrest, prosecution, sentencing. We did we did a good job today too of talking about that. There but there's the reentry side. That's another part of the system that needs that we need to spend more time talking about. And the final part, which is the most important part, is the prevention side, right? The investment on the front end so that our kids uh, and young adults have more meaningful opportunities to succeed in the first place. If we give our kids and young adults more meaningful opportunity to succeed, then we will reduce crime, right? You, people ask me about my crime plan. I say my crime plan is my education plan. They ask me about my poverty plan. I say my poverty plan is my education plan. <laughs> it is all about making some strategic investments so that our students and our kids and our families have real opportunity. We've got you know 109,000 people in the public school system, and uh, most of them are not college ready. Almost all of them are not college ready. 90% are not college ready. I want to see somebody come to Nashville and lobby about that, right? Right, <laughs> right? exactly. Uh, right. Those are the kinds of conversations we've got to have, and that's a real criminal uh, public safety reform plan. It involves investment. Yeah. Oh, excellent. Well, I will let you end it on that. Uh, thanks so much for joining us. And I guess I have to pause and congratulate you. You have brought a new voter, at least in 18, year, 18 years, <laughs> right. into the world. Lou is two weeks old. Congratulations. Busy times in my life. Yeah. Third child, two week old, Lou Harris. All right. Yes. Thank Sh- you. Shout out to Lou and yeah. the family. Yeah. Uh, thanks so much for joining us, taking time out of the campaign schedule. Uh, We really appreciate you sharing your views. Thank you for having me. That was State Senator Lee Harris in conversation and on the permanent record. Our thanks to Senator Harris and his staff for making that interview possible. No matter whether you vote for him or his opponent, if you live in Shelby County, vote early. 
or go vote on August 2nd. Before you go, though, listen to my other interview with Senator Harris' opponent, Shelby County Trustee David Lenore. We released that interview simultaneously with this one. So get informed, make a choice. Speaking of voting, I vote for the OEM Network as the best podcast network in Memphis. Thanks to Gil and Carla Worth for bringing power to the podcast and podcasts to the people. Check out some of their other shows at theoamnetwork.com. We should elect Jeff Hewlett as the Memphis Minstrel in Chief. He recorded She Got Gone for Us, its original theme music for the permanent record. I'm Josh Spickler. I'm not running for anything. This is The Permanent Record, a production of Just City. Learn more about our work at justcity.org. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at justcity901. Make sure you're subscribing to The Permanent Record somewhere. Give us a rating. It helps us build our audience. In a Just City, we listen, we speak up, and we vote. Our thanks to you for doing all three.